I know that parents really want to understand this anxiety thing that kids are going through. It's been talked about a lot. It seems like every kid has it. And we're, we're in danger of blurring the lines between uh, a kid being uh, nervous and uh, stressed out and a kid having anxiety, which is actually uh, more on the clinical side of things, that there's a dysfunction that goes with anxiety. Being stressed out is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, there's a level of pressure that can cause some people to perform, and it can cause some people to actually face the things that cause anxiousness or, or small anxieties. A children being child being nervous about something and a parent and the child working together to, to move through being stressed about a test or about going up on stage for a play or something like that, that's a, that's a good thing. That's a life skill. But we're talking about anxiety. We're talking, we're, we're talking about that crippling thing that we're watching these kids go through. So this is another talk that I gave to parents at a school where we, we start to talk about anxiety as it looks from a clinical position. I can tell you working in a facility that the anxiety issue, the anxiety problem, the anxiety dysfunction that kids are going through is real. The question is, is that what your child is going through? And that's the part that I think parents really want help with. So that's what this talk is about. This was a live talk with parents at a middle school in Lafayette, Colorado. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm your host, Aaron Huey. Honestly, I was just working my way up to death. I thought about killing myself every day. I was using all the time, and I, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. My brother shot himself because of drugs. When you are using technology to lure children for sexual purposes, there's a couple of problems that concern me. But I remember feeling kind of relieved after hurting myself. Do you have any idea how much you were worth? I like to say it this way, great people are really built in the furnace of affliction. Our teens are navigating a world of information anarchy and increased stress and pressure. Drugs are glorified more than ever before and there seems to be a suicide option that didn't exist prior. As adults, we are responsible to provide the help at-risk teens need. Have teens changed or is it just the world they live in that's different? Is this why so many teens are traumatized or triggered? My name is Aaron Huey, and in 2009, I opened a home for these teens with the hopes of giving them a second chance at creating the life we all know they deserve. Now I want to give parents the information that contributed to our success and to support them in navigating the at-risk world. These are the stories told by the teens and the techniques used by experts to help them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Man, if... Uh... If maybe that first conversation about tech and adolescence was going to feel a little heavy, I'm looking at this coping with life stressors and I'm like, oh man, um, this is this is the the this anxiety depression thing. The the main thing that I can tell you is that it's real. Like like it's 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 gone beyond. Um, you know why are our kids so anxious? Uh, you know, were we this anxious or did we just get told to buck up and, and bootstrap it and blah, blah, blah? No, it's not this. Well, we, our anxiety as kids was not this. 
There's, a, there's an epidemic of this, of this anxiety going on. I know as a kid I felt anxious a lot. I got a lot of canker sores from stress. I had stomach aches um, when I was a littler kid. Um, but the anxiety, the, the crippling anxiety that we're seeing now, this is, this is the real deal. And it's not what we were dealing with. So that I want to get out of the way at the beginning. And that uh, every single one of the kids currently in my facility is dealing with anxiety issues. Every single one. We are at 100% of what they're dealing with. So I want to make it clear that it is we are wanting to talk about this so that we can identify the clinical side, the dysfunctional side, and when a kid is just being anxious and uncomfortable and doesn't want to do that because they're afraid, which means they don't know the reality of the situation. So bear in mind that we are still, as adults, trying to get clear on what we're actually talking about, um, but at our facility we're very clear how bad this anxiety can get. and what a child is willing to do to themselves to not feel it. That's the piece that I want to never meet you again on. That's what I hope that in talking about this, we can avoid. Um, being stressed just means we're subject to pressure and tension. That's what being stressed is. There's tension and there's pressure. Stress is good. Being stressed out is a word we use and that's not good when we're feeling stressed out. But, but stress, some of us perform really well under stress. Diamonds are built under stress and pressure. So that's, that's the squeeze that's still okay that we can't pull away from the kids. We cannot create a stress-free world because the moment you log on to Facebook, that world goes bye-bye very quickly. The news, so anxiety, is that feeling of, of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something in the future. So this is, this is, and we're saying typically because we can feel anxiety about something we've did and haven't discussed or disclosed. But this anxiety, uh, that's the general description. Now, the psychiatric description of anxiety is a nervous disorder. Now, disorder brings in dysfunction. And that's the difference, is that we're talking about the difference between someone being really, really stressed out at an age that they shouldn't be, and it's overwhelming them. And what it turns into is now life's not working. Now we've moved into dysfunction, which means things that were functional are no longer functioning. It's not that we're struggling at school. We're not going because they, they can't make it through the day. The stomach aches are crippling. The, the, the physiological experience of what the mind is doing is shutting them down. And we can't pass that off as nothing. Okay? The primary causes for children, and now we're talking about children. There's another piece about talking about children versus talking about teenagers, okay? And it's in this first one. One of the primary causes in children is the separation between uh, the child and adult family members. And even up to eighth grade, that still is the primary cause of anxiety is, is the separation anxiety from the adult caregiver. Right? And I've seen it with, with uh, kids a little older than this who still have very strong attachment issues. 
And every single time it's rooted in a divorce, it's rooted in a death, it's rooted in an abandonment, an adoption trauma. So we're a lot of anxiety, right? 50% of the kids in my facility right now are adopted. All right, so if you have an adopted kid, they're partially adopted, meaning one, one parent has adopted them, it's a, it's a cause for anxiety. Divorce is a major cause for anxiety. Both my, both my kids had terrible anxiety. Both my wife and I, we Brady bunched, and we had previous marriages, and that it causes it. You can't get away from that. Even if you have really good co-parenting and things are getting along and still gonna show up. Academic pressures are the second biggest identifier, and uh, you, you parents are in a high-performing school, so it's something you're gonna need to keep an eye on. We teach the personal management skills to hope to lessen the academic pressures because they're able to manage the academic pressures, but uh, the third one plays right into it, and that's the social pressure. That what the other kids are going through is starting to play on them. So I've talked about self-concept a lot, and what's really important to understand about children is that, that self-esteem, that, that uh, self-worth, those, those things are results of self-concept. And a child's self-concept is established by the parent until they hit that magical age of 12, 13, 14. And then that thing that you told them they were, it's not panning out for them at school. They were, they were daddy's little girl, and we got this, and you're, you're my little goddess, high five. They go, I'm a little goddess. And they're like, no, you're not. You're and so it didn't play out. This, this perfect kid at home or this, this, this you know, movie star, this sports star that you had at home, and every time they hit the backboard, you cheered them on, they didn't get cheered at school. And some, now that's where self-concept takes its first real hit is that it's school. And that's where the social pressure is, starts to fill up on the ap academic. And then, and then, and, and if you do this, and this one hurts when I say this, I'm kind of sorry, but not really. So bear with me while I do this one, because we have parents that comparison shop on their kids. And that one's a, that's a deep dig. Here's, this is what I wrote down. I'm trying to keep this light and fluffy, because this is a heavy subject. When we say, um, well, Stephen practices three times a day and started a company while keeping his grades up and taking care of his sick grandfather, and he's seven and you're eight. So, you know, and then that comparison shopping where you're looking at other kids and family's supposed success and then putting that responsibility on your child or yourself for that matter and feeling pressure that, you know, your hair doesn't look like that hair on the commercial where he's mopping the floor and his floor is cleaner than it's not real that the perfection is not real and so if we play into that and we start comparison shopping on our kids that's going to damage the self-concept and i will tell you at a hundred percent that self-worth self-esteem comes from self-concept how can we feel good about ourselves if we don't know who we are so in all things in everything we do with our child. This has to be our prime message. And we forget this. Even the best of us, we forget this. We forget it. I teach this. I teach parents this four times a year. And I realized that I was putting this on my daughter. And she was, she and her boyfriend had had a big headbutt, their first really big run-in with each other. And I didn't call her. 
I said, I got to step out of this one. She's not in life and limb. She figures this one out. And then when we did talk about it months afterwards, you know, she was, you could sense the stress that I didn't approve of what she was doing. And she kept saying, you have to trust me with what I did. And I was like, oh crap, if we're having that conversation, then I, I have missed this one. I said, I, I love you for who you are, not what you do. And we both cried and hugged. It was very beautiful and we should have filmed it. But what happened was, is that I had strayed. And when we comparison shop, when we get into the academic pressures, uh, when we forget that the mere separation, that the umbilical cord has not only been cut and tucked away, but even the psychic one is starting to move. And that's what happens between moms and sons at 16, is that the psychic umbilical cord is cut. And the boys feel that, and they're just not allowed to, to be told what it is and, and respond to it. And they actually call it the shedding of the sun. So if you have a son, you need to read Iron John by Robert Bly. Iron John by Robert Bly. He was the first guy who did the men's workbook and we were all drumming and singing in the woods and loincloths talking about our feelings back in the 80s. It was great stuff. But he has essentially taken the story of Iron John, Iron Hans, the old German fairy tale, and broken it down on how boys turn into men. It's a very potent uh, learning experience. Um, the next cause is uh, um, the overscheduling. Our kids are overscheduled and overbooked. And, and high pressure schools, parents with high pressure jobs, parents who are overscheduled. And, and I, I need to, I need to, I just came off of talking about personal management and how much harmony and peace that can create in our life. But managing overscheduling is not a, a, a good solution to overscheduling. Okay. That's, that's, uh, that's like really dysfunctional type A stuff. Managing over scheduling is not a solution. Taking some things off the schedule is. Uh, and of course, the family stress and the world stress. If mom and dad are fighting, fighting about money, if the parents are stressed about what's going on with, with someone may or may not lose their job or a potential move and stuff, it's trickle down, folks. Everything's trickle down. I saw an amazing uh, uh, political cartoon where uh, these three kids who were playing with their dolls were all shouting things that politicians have been saying on the TV recently. And it was horrible to see children saying those things to each other. It's all trickle down. So remember, psychically, uh, physiologically, what's going on in the house is also going on in your child. You, you can tell them to be different, but they won't. They will return to your value system. Tell me some signs of anxiety. Just what you've been told or even guessing. What are signs that your kid is going through some anxiety? Avoiding things. Great. What else? Lying. Say again? Lying. Lying. What else? Crying. Yep. What else? <laughs> do you have a list in front of you? Or? No, I <laughs> what else do we see? Pain. Say again? Pain. Yeah. What you said? Chewing fingernails. Chewing fingernails. Good one. I also got picking noses.
Yeah. Uh, uh, pulling body parts. I'm going to include hair, eyelashes, eyebrows. Okay. Uh, what was the other one I heard? Stomach. Yeah. I've got a, uh, a list here of the hair twirling. Um, older children may begin to bully others. Uh, a, an anxious kid, one of the big things we're going to see little things become big things very quickly. Like and, and, and this is where we have to separate the story and the storyteller. Because we make anxiety worse when we focus on the story. The story is that little thing that you just told them they couldn't do really hurt them. And now they're flailing on the floor and they're completely inconsolable. And now they're in fetal position sucking their thumb, which, by the way, is another one of the signs where they literally retreat to infantile behavior. And so we say, well, what I said wasn't that bad, or this is not that big of a deal. That's because we get caught up in the story. And we're, we're not actually learning the storyteller. The experience is not the result. The experience leads to thoughts. Thoughts lead to feelings. Feelings lead to actions. Actions lead to results. If they've suddenly, they can't get out of bed because they're so anxious and they're, they're pulling on their hair and you don't, what's underneath it is an experience that we haven't gotten to yet. I think I'm going to write that down so that you guys see this. I actually call this the, the iceberg. When I meet parents for the first time, this is usually what our conversation's about. Above the waterline on an iceberg, I can see some of the feelings that you're going through. I can see what your actions are, and I can see your results. Someone will say, my, my kid's been kicked out of school because they, they have been bullying another kid. Um, a, you know, obviously, we can talk about what their kid's feeling. The, the, kid's, the kid's angry. The kid feels isolated and alone. The kid feels powerless. But the question is, what's actually going on underneath those things? And what's going on underneath, in addition to hidden feelings, are their thoughts about life. And under that, I had a while back asked to talk to family. I put out a nationwide call to talk to families who had experienced bullying from having a child who was bullying, who was the bully. I got no responses. You know what that tells me? What do we know about kids who bully? Something happened. Something big's going on. And we don't see it. We see the results of it. We're, we're angry because of what's going on up here. We're calling the school about this kid who's bullying because of this. Anxiety as a dysfunction is happening down here. And this is where we have to connect with the child versus just saying, I don't understand. You just need to take a deep breath. Here's what you got to do. Now, we're going to talk about coping skills because the worst thing to do is talk about all this anxiety that's going on and not actually begin to practice the coping skills thing. The, 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 I wanna, we need to talk about before that, though, in case we're already there so that we can solve this one.
when we need clinical intervention. And this is the hard one. Hard because uh, it brings up all the stigmas. Now, we live in a pretty liberal pocket as far as therapy comes. But I can tell you, working with everybody all over Colorado and, and in other countries, the idea of getting clinical intervention still has a stigma. So let's make sure that we address it. So the first, seek it when things are dysfunctional. And this just means that things that used to function don't anymore. Their belly doesn't function. They have a meal, and every meal they have a, they have a stomach ache. You've been to the medical doctor. They think it's fine. We have a dysfunction. They, they have a new task. They just can't get their brain about it. It makes them cry. They get scared. They're afraid of everything. So they become paralyzed with analysis. It's dysfunctional. When school stops, when we start missing school because of the anxiety or anxiousness, we need clinical intervention. This means you need a counselor, you need a therapist, you need a mentor. I'm putting it on both sides because I, I certainly work with the teens who can sleep way too much. They just sleep away. Because, you know, we have fight, flight. You know the other ones? We have freeze. That's the sleeping. It's also the faint. And then we have fornicate and feed. Those are the six things that the limbic system does. When your child is going into anxiety, they're operating solely out of the limbic system or the lizard brain, survival brain. The rule is you cannot lecture the limbic. You could talk about boiled broccoli or coping skills. Won't matter. So when we know our kid is dealing with anxiety, when we start to talk about coping skills, we do it when things are going good. So that we have it, we, we can pull from the box, our coping skills box. You have popsicle sticks and you write a coping skill and you reach in the box and you pull one out. This is the one we're gonna do and we both do it, okay? Yeah, fight, flight are, are our two popular ones. The military identified freeze and faint, watching what happens to soldiers in the field where they freeze or they just go to sleep. All right, and then there's fornicate and feet. If you think about a lizard's life, those are the six things they do. Okay, and if you've ever had a pet lizard and you try to feed them and you put your finger in to push them the food, they're gonna do one of those things to your finger. <laughs> Run away from it, bite it, totally freeze and you'll just be like bumping, pass out, fornicate with it, or try to eat your finger. They're gonna do one of those things. That's the limbic system, the lizard brain. Okay, anytime, don't care, I don't care, what are my words? Don't care. Say it again, don't care. say it again, don't care. don't care what level the self-harm is at, if it's pulling an eyelash, if it's pulling out hair, if it's cutting or burning, it's self-harm. You see them picking scabs, not letting themselves heal, it's self-harm. They want to give themselves a tattoo, it's self-harm. They start piercing themselves, it's self-harm. I don't care how it looks. Take this one very seriously and get clinical intervention because this one is tied directly to dopamine and the brain of someone who self-harms regularly looks just like the brain of someone who's doing heroin. It's a dopamine issue. And we treat it the exact same as we would treat drug abuse. So if it starts, you have to know that the moment they do it, the moment they pull that hair and get that release of dopamine, they will feel better. That's why they do it. 
That's where we mix up toxic and nourishing. It's regulating their stress. Okay? So it's a very, very serious one. I have a piece written about this. Children and adolescents with panic disorder have unexpected and repeated periods of intense fear or discomfort along with other symptoms such as racing heartbeat or lightheadedness, shortness of breath, or feeling of being smothered. This is where we start getting into what a panic attack is. A kid just being panicked is not a panic attack. A panic attack is an actual physiological thing that creates medical issues like feeling lightheaded and maybe passing out. All right? Questions about this before I move, move on? Because I want to start getting to the solutions because this is the heavy part. Now I want to fix it. Yes? Um, can panic attacks start out smaller if the child is younger and like have some like racing heart, sweating, crying, as part of a response to a situation that turns into worse, like really making them like not be able to function? So the answer is yes and no. So the, the yes part of it is, it's how the body starts to work up to saying, I can go this far and I will get my needs met. But the panic attack, the reason why it's such a misused word, is actually the, the prolonged sustained experience that becomes a medical issue. Okay, and that's that's where we we yes 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 that 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 they might actually need chemical intervention to get calmed down. Okay, um, my rule on seeking therapeutic intervention for your child is that you have to get it for yourself too, because that's hard when your child's going through it and you're not going through it to understand what it's like to have a therapist and to, to have a coach and to be challenged emotionally. To expect your kid to do it and to wonder about your kid's results and the timing, is this working, is this not? Experience it firsthand. And if you got stigma about it, get over it because it's the best thing you can do, okay? All right, let's solve some problems now instead of just talking about it. Everybody take a big breath. This is heavy stuff. Okay. Number one, first and foremost, and I honest to God believe this, and I believe, I, I, I believe that my opinion is strong enough that I could convince any counselor and teacher in a school, and if they don't already agree with me, um, if we taught emotional intelligence beginning in elementary school all the way through high school, I would be out of a job. That's what I think. That's how important emotional intelligence is. So. That's what we start teaching at home. If we want to deal with anxiety, if we want to deal with depression, if we want to deal with mental disorders, if we want to deal with any kind of addiction, it comes through emotional intelligence. This is the definition of emotional intelligence. The capacity to be aware of, control, and express one's emotions the capacity to be aware of, control, and express one's emotions, and to handle interper interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. So this is about being in relationship with others and being in relationship with ourself. This is about learning how to use the gap, and that's our second one. We teach emotional intelligence by minding the gap. Turn to someone and say, mind the gap.
Turn to someone else and say, mind the gap. When I was in uh, uh, England recently, getting on and off the train, they always say, mind the gap, mind the gap. And this is actually what we call our clinical intervention program at Fire Mountain is mind the gap. The gap between how you feel and what you do. There's a space there. Mind it. Be in that space. Wow, I was really upset at him. Holy mackerel. I was very, very upset. And then turn around and say, okay, now what am I going to do? Because if I act on that, that's the gap. Suddenly you're in a space between feeling and doing. And if we go back to this, this is how big our gap is. This is our gap right here. It's just a thin blue line. So that's how small it is. And look what's underneath all of it. But suddenly, with all of our childhood experiences that informs everything what we think, and there are feelings that come rushing up because that person, that man, woman, my wife said that thing to me and it just triggers all my mommy issues. Ah, you just triggered all my mommy issues. I'm going to go take a minute because you're not my mommy. That's minding the gap. And only one-tenth of our marriage because usually I'm going to say, don't be my mom. No, I'm kidding. Um, kids do not possess the skill to mind the gap. This is something they're going to learn from you and they're going to learn from you verbalizing it. Wow, I was so angry when you told me you cleaned your room and you didn't. But uh, what dad did is went outside in the garage and cleaned up his tools because that's how I calmed down a little bit. Now that I'm calm, I want to talk about um, my feelings around lying. I'm not, I'm not willing to do fun things with people who lie to me. My friends don't lie to me. I don't be friends with people I lie on. So I get really scared. And see, I'm just, now I'm talking like an adult to a child. I'm not in some power. You better not lie to me. We don't lie in this household. Well, you lie to me. You're and power struggle with the child. And we're, we're right back at it. And we're angry because our dad never always whatever. Okay, next one. And the other thing I was doing is I was modeling healthy venting. Oh, I was so just frustrated with what, how this morning happened between us. And I just, I, you know, I went to my yoga class and I felt so much better. And I thought about how much I love you. And I'm not willing to have those arguments in the morning anymore because those just really take me out of my day. And I'm sure it wasn't easy on you. How are you feeling right now? Oh, we, we're venting with each other. Okay, the next one is how we talk about feelings. Uh, I hate to say it to you, but when you say to your child or significant other, I feel like you're lying to me, um, that's not actually a feeling. <laughs> that's an accusation. And they're going to be defensive. And you've created a power struggle. If you say, I feel lied to, uh, that's not a feeling. That's not a feeling, that, that's an accusation, and they're going to be defensive. If you say, I feel sad, that's a feeling. They can put it all together. I feel sad. Why? Well, I, I get, I feel sad when I don't know what's really happening, and I feel scared, and I feel and you're just talking about how you feel. You're not talking about how you make me so mad. No, they don't. You're mad. And if you say, you make me so mad, you've given all your power. The reason why this creates anxiety in uh, uh, children is because when we are communicating that other people have that much power over our feelings, we have no power over our own. 
And teaching a child how to talk about their feelings is paramount. How do you feel today? For a child to be able to say, I feel really anxious. Where do you feel anxious? In your belly or in your head? In my belly. Well, that's a physical. And now we're having a conversation. We're actually starting to move the energy. You got a really stressful day coming up, but you have a day before the stressful day happens. So you decide you're going to self-care. All right? This is our self-care. What would you do for self-care if you had a whole day? Someone shout it out. Say again, what? Take a bath. Bath. What else? Say again. Get ready for the stressful day. How? I'm not ready. Okay, great. Delegate. <laughs> Delegate. I love that one. In, in my day timer that I created, after the to-do list, I have the not to-do list. It's about everything you delegate in a day. Um, okay. Now, you get a call from the counselor at peak to peak. You got to come the, to the office. You got five minutes. What are you going to do? Got a lot of breathing. What else? Get excited because the counselors are teaching me. Call a friend. <laughs> Delegate. Oh, no. <laughs> Anything else? Say again. Okay, now tongue in cheek, self-care is not three glasses of wine and binge watching Game of Thrones, even though it feels like it. Because why? Why does three glasses of wine and Game of Thrones feel like coping skills? Numb, what else? Avoidance, distraction, just like the cigarette, right? So, so we talk about you know, we caffeine up, we get lots of sugar in our body, our emotions go up, the, the intensity goes up, we have a big crash later. We gotta watch where things can become toxic versus nourishing. Because that's an easy thing to confuse. Now, the reason why I'm asking this is which one of these things can kids do? All of them, I, maybe not Starbucks. I know they do, but... <laughs> Maybe not wife, but this is delegating. Mom, I need you to handle this. Uh, <laughs> we know our coping skills. Using them in a moment of crisis has to be practice. Whether 
we're doing our personal management. And, I, and I'll go back to the personal management concept just for a second because you're not going to do, you're going to do everything you do based on your habits. And that's what you've done 10,000 times according to the Chinese or for 90 days without interruption. Okay, sobriety could never happen in 28 days like the old model. Never. Uh, the 12 steps say do 90 and 90 because real change takes 90 days of consistent action. Consistent action for it to become a new pattern, a new brain, a new neural pathway. 90 days for a neural pathway unless it's a traumatic experience. Then it can dig a canyon right through. Or 10,000 times. So there has to be repetition. So now that we know our parent coping skills and we know that kid, kids do it, Here's the one that we like to use, and I want you to look at this one in some version or it's complete. We call it the cozy corner. The younger your kids are, start it. This is a corner of their room that is set aside for coping. It is literally a corner of their room where you have put blankets and pillows. There's music there with their three favorite songs. Now let's be clear, these songs must bring the energy down and not up. So no real Bow Wow, all right, no Pantera. They don't listen to Pantera anymore, what am I saying? This is, this is, we're doing Gregorian chants, we're doing Mozart, we're doing something that pulls that energy down. There are pictures on the wall of things they want, that bike, places they've been, places they want to go, family members, whatever pulls that energy downwards. Maybe there's Legos. Maybe there's a journal. But this is a place that we use only as reward, never as consequence. Never, ever as consequences. It's not, go to your cozy corner right now. Like that, <laughs> that would blow the whole concept. This is what we do. It's like, you just need some cozy corner time. I could really use some cozy corner time right now. Why don't we both just go to our cozy corner? And we do that. That's what we do. We just go to our cozy corner. How come when I talk quieter, this gets all louder? That was really weird. <laughs> so the cozy corner is a reward-based concept. The anxiety is coming up. The stress is coming up. Hey, I'm seeing this conversation's not working too well. Let's cozy corner for five minutes. And then we'll come back to it, okay? Let's just both chill. I'm feeling heightened. I'm seeing you heightened. Let's cozy corner. Um, there's stuffed animals there. If they like Harry Potter, then it's a Harry Potter themed cozy corner. You get some lights at Ikea and it's all, it's, it's just a very personal, loving, sweet place that is very sacred and, and they're not interrupted. And if you come in and they're playing Legos and there's nothing to do, back out and let it happen, okay? You can always come back to it later. And in that journal, and then for the really young kids, it could totally look like a fort, couldn't it? Get some old couch cushions and duct tape them together. And in that journal, how you feeling? How did those songs make you feel? Because it's one thing to create the physical experience, but when you are dealing with anxiety, you have to have both. There has to be a physical and an emotional outlet. It cannot be one. We have to have a physiological experience with dealing with anxiety. 
Talking about your feelings is 50% of it. Getting out and shooting some hoops is 50% of it. You have to do both. And you've got to create the environment for both. My oldest trick in the book from when I first started kids coaching was throwing axes. The, the throwing axes was my go-to. So they'd come in and I'd hand them an axe and take them to a target and I'd say, throw the axe. I don't know how to do it. So I don't either, just throw it. They throw it, bounce sideways, they throw it, bounce sideways, they throw it and stick. Yeah! There was this big emotional, and they're like, oh! I was like, yeah, let's do that again. What did you do? Let's try to map it out. Well, I stood a little closer. Well, count how many steps you were, and we would just map out everything. They'd do it, it wouldn't stick. They would do it, it would stick. It would stick, and then pretty soon, we'd just, they'd start to get used to sticking it. They'd get that feeling, and they'd get used to it. Oh, I figured out a pattern. Great. How's your relationship with your dad? I'd say, what changed? You were doing great. I talked about your dad. What changed? They're like, I think I held my breath. And all of a sudden, we were talking about what's going on in the body. So talking about it and doing something about it, it's 50-50. You can't ignore one for the other. The modeling of dealing with anxiety. The truth is, the trickle down of anxiousness, the, the, the big uh, uh, dilemma, the big uh, um, disease that's going on with anxiety in kids, it's coming from the adults. We are so unbelievably stressed out and we compound it on ourselves because we think three glasses of wine and binge watching a violent TV show will do it. Orange is the New Black is so incredibly violent. This is all, and we're, we haven't allowed our brains a chance to relax. So we have to start scheduling do nothing days. We have to have our kids and play dates scheduled as a do nothing play date. Where we're saying to the other family, hey, can we do a play date with absolutely no electronics? Oh my God, I would love that. You know that's what they're gonna say. And so you agree to it and you tell the kids, hey, we got a no electronics play date with so-and-so the other coming up. And we just unplug, we take a break. And I'm gonna say again at the end here how sacred dinner is. You don't talk about homework, you don't talk about school, you don't talk about work, you don't talk about how they didn't clean their room. This is a place where we pulled out our box of table topics. That's the word I had you write down earlier. It's a box of questions like, where do you see yourself in five years? Like, um, what's the most memorable trip you've ever taken? Like, what are th your three favorite things about yourself? And everybody answers. And even the most anxious kids will melt into the process if the adults are modeling it. Because their melt is gonna be equivalent to your melt. If you want your kids to deal with their anxiety, you gotta deal with yours. We do it as a family. We work out as a family. We get therapy as a family. We have our cozy corners and we have our do nothing days. And do nothing days means do nothing. We're unplugged, we hang out, we read, we sit in the yard, we have a picnic, we do nothing, okay? It's not a broken kid issue, it's a broken society issue. This is, the, this is the worst of our systemic behaviors. Again, if the anxiety is going over the top, please sign up for the parent afternoon uh, or the parent evening that we're gonna do. I will have myself there and our director um, from our program. Um, thank you. I know the anxiety thing's a, a heavy one. A lot of kids are dealing with it. You're not alone. Make sure you're connecting and getting support as well, okay? Thank you guys, I really appreciate all your time this evening. Thank you so much. I'll stay around for questions after as long as they'll let me. So thank you so much.
Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility, and also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com, join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center, or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos. Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com. <laughs>